You're listening to Why We Do What We Do. All right, welcome to Why We Do What We Do. This will be your host, Abraham. And Ryan O. And Shane. I'm happy to welcome you all here. Thank you so much for joining us. We have some housekeeping items that we want to go over about the survey we're doing. Ryan, you want to go on that? Yeah, so there's this survey. It's super important. It's closing. We've talked about it a bunch, but the link's in the bio. Make sure that you go check it out. What other house cleaning items are there? Uh, I think that was it. Just letting everyone know we're going to have an episode coming up soon about altruism that Shane's going to be covering. Yeah? Yeah, I'm excited about it. It covers quite a bit, including religion and spirituality and stuff too, so. Cool. Do y'all realize that this is the last episode of the decade that we're recording? That's a little crazy. Yeah. Although everyone who hears it will be hearing it at the beginning of, tw- well, at the end of <laughs> January in 2020. So please tell us what the future is like. <laughs> yes. Future audience who has not yet heard this, reach back in time to us now and please send us a direct message. What were we supposed to be talking about today? Do you remember? <laughs> Actually, I do. We have been getting ourselves distracted every eight seconds because today we are talking about our kids losing their attention span, which should be the title of this. Well, it goes well, and according to plan. Oh, that was an unintentional <laughs> rhyme. <laughs> we did joke about getting distracted every eight seconds for the duration of the episode, but I think that that would be infuriating to listen to and also nearly impossible <laughs> yeah. to script. So we're just going to we're gonna wing it like we usually do on this episode to an extent. I mean, we're, we're covering our, our topic. We have our, we have our notes. We have our research. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I started getting annoyed a little bit just switching topics just now. So I, right. <laughs> there's, if I, had a, I would have lost it if we did an episode of that. There's no way I could have tolerated that. For those people who are listening or maybe even new to this, this is the first time we've had all three of us together recording in probably over a year. So it's kind of <laughs> exciting. It's good times. And you can tell because we keep slightly speaking <laughs> over each other. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when I say we, I say we, me. We've lost our flow. <laughs> so the goal of today is to answer questions like, what is happening to our ability to stay focused on a task for any reasonable amount of time? And we want to cover what is to blame for our fundamentally decreased capacity to pay attention, if that's a thing. And of course, most importantly, what does the research say about all of this? And without giving too much away, the answers might not be what you expect. Or what you hear in these tabloids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't want to necessarily give away our punchline, even though if you've read anything at all about the description of this episode, you'll see it. But let's go ahead and, and begin with, we're on a journey backwards through time. Man, we're recording this in the past. <laughs> we're talking about the crazy future, but we're going to go back to the early 1900s, just like a time traveling episode. Oh man, we could do an episode on time travel. That'd be interesting. It would be. Okay, so let's journey back 100 years to a beautiful spring afternoon. So just to set the stage, it's warm, it's clear and sunny, it's beautiful outside. And while we're back in this time, in this part of the year, we're going to go in and check in on young Jebediah. Although a normal boy for his time, he appears strange to our modern eyes, specifically because we see him in a schoolroom. And what's strange specifically is that he is intently focused on the teacher talking. She, and yes, I mean she, it's the 1920s, she is droning on about Shakespeare or some other quote-unquote important literary figure. She's not interesting or funny or even particularly nice to look at, but Jebediah nevertheless maintains a consistent focus on her words, never distracted by the allure of fun he could be having outside, or distracted by thoughts of the job he'll have to do when he goes to his child labor work uh, once his class (laughs) is over. He's also not distracted by his nearby friends. 
No. Jebediah here has an unwavering attention on his teacher. This is not even strange about Jebediah. He is perfectly average. All the students have the, a similarly committed focus to their teacher. Hold on, where did you get this utopian time of like perfect attention from? What's going on here? What world is this? Well, we completely made it up, of course. <laughs> this never <laughs> happened. Kids were just as playful and distracted and unconcerned with boring lectures 100 years ago as they are today. It's funny because people have this notion that we are losing our attention span as a species due to technology or some kind of overstimulation or whatever reason. They found some excuse to say, hey, we're losing this thing. But we found some accounts of people making this claim for centuries. So you can see historically humans have talked about losing attention, which is interesting. Essentially, this has been a complaint that one generation, one older generation has had about the next generation for a long time that they keep saying, ah, you guys don't pay attention. You don't care about these boring things I care about. And so then they make the accusation that our future is doomed. The youth will destroy us all. <laughs> Let's jump into kind of what's going on here more. So first, if I were to tell you that people surveyed had an average attention span length of eight seconds, what would you all think in terms of that length? I have no idea. That seems short. That seems very short. I feel like I have a longer attention span than that. What if I were to tell you 12 seconds? That also seems short <laughs> and fairly similar to the first number. <laughs> I would question whether or not humanity is going to get anything accomplished and how we accomplished anything. Yeah. Imagine if you were like a carpenter working on constructing a building or you're a construction worker. You're constructing a building and after eight seconds, you just stop and we're like, ooh, what's that over there? Danger, danger, danger. Uh, ooh, another brick. <laughs> another brick. <yeah. laughs> but I think, I mean... I'm, one thing that they point out is eight seconds is 33% shorter than 12 seconds, which is Is that what people math. got distracted by before texts were bricks? <laughs> <laughs> there, was, there was some mason somewhere that could not complete a building fast enough because they were like, this, look at this brick, but look at this brick. <laughs> <laughs> there was a Consumer Insight report published by Microsoft Canada. I don't know what Microsoft Canada means, but that was where I, I saw that name repeatedly <laughs> when doing research from various sources. And this was published in 2015 with a catchy headline of something that went along the lines of people's attention span is now as short as a goldfish. And man, people just picked it up and ran with it. So I read that and I'm like, so our attention span is the length of a goldfish? Like, that's, that's how I read that. <laughs> our attention span is 1.5 inches long. <laughs> like, how do you measure attention span? Anyway, so fueled by their own preconceived notions, biases, and lack of investigative journalism, several outlets were perfectly happy to simply publish articles about this shocking, quote, discovery, unquote, as possible, including Time Magazine, USA Today, The Guardian, The Washington Post, The Telegraph, or on one of the numerous radio programs that broadcast it as news. Um, so I think this Canadian Microsoft is just simply like they have different entities based on the, the business structures and whatnot. So that would be my hunch. Now, the report cited data from a survey of uh, 2,000 Canadians and some brain research that clocked our new attention span down to 8 seconds from 12 seconds. As mentioned before, the attention span of a goldfish. And Ryan, you worked with goldfish, so you know about I their did. memory and their <laughs> and their attention spans. I was super excited to see the goldfish reference because, yes, I, for uh, reasons much longer than we'll get into, spent about two <laughs> to two and a half years with goldfish, <laughs> working with them one hundred percent of the time, <laughs> living next to them in their environment. He was <laughs> no. in the tank <laughs> with a snorkel during my grad program. There was a research lab, and I worked in a goldfish 
based research lab. And yeah, it was really interesting because we tried essentially looking at some of these sort of, I'd call them myths or marketing lures or whatnot. And it was either memory or attention span. We were trying to get at things like that. Depending on what you look at, I don't buy this. I don't want to, I don't want to, I'll share more later, I guess, in the episode. Did you have a favorite goldfish? Yeah. So I named him Og after the good old Ogden Lindsley. So at that time I was really into that line of work. And so goldfish maintenance, I guess, with the water, like everything's got to be super clean. So for example, if you have a, a home tank that's circulating with a reverse osmosis system, keeping everything clean, even if one fish gets sick, it can contaminate all of the tanks. And so there was a number of fish, long story short, that I worked with over those two and a half years. And it was literally AUG1, AUG2, AUG3, AUG4. It's kind of kept <laughs> oh, the lineage going. There was a, a, probably a dozen or so students that worked on and off with them, and there was a whole lot of fish in there. So my favorite ones were this Ryukin goldfish. And it was just because they were pretty susceptible for, for food, just large enough to where I could work with them for a longer period of time because you're, you're dealing with satiation quite a bit and them getting full when you're working with food rewards. So I didn't necessarily have a favorite outside of just the ones that I could work the most with. Who knew? We had so much locked and loaded about goldfish <laughs> in, our, in our episode about attention span. <laughs> so I guess to continue on here, goldfish do not have an attention span of eight seconds. They're capable of learning and staying on task for much longer periods of time. Whether it was memory or attention span, we started getting data and results of like three, four months you could have memory last uh, attention spans could last for really as long as you were able to program them for i would say right into the research training programs just as a sort of side note i think it's funny last night i was talking to my partner about the fact that i'd been doing research on this and I, i wanted to bring up something that was interesting and i started saying you know what's interesting about attention span oh wait i forgot to feed the cats <laughs> and, and, and I actually interrupted myself to go to the cats, and then I I noticed that it was really funny that I got distracted by my own thoughts as I was in the middle of talking about something. So, anyway, as Ryan just pointed out, that goldfish are not a very useful marker for comparing or identifying what a lengthy attention span might be because it's not eight seconds; it's not the short period of time. And so, even saying that we have the attention span of a goldfish is not necessarily an insult or something to be concerned about, if we even knew what that was. However, the BBC was too curious to simply accept the results of that study as all those other news outlets had done, and this unimpeachable fact of our short attention spans, and so they decided to investigate further. And so the author, Simon Mabin, learned that the numbers cited in the Microsoft report came from a website called Statistic Brain, which sounds, that does not grab my attention at all. Um, <laughs> like that's like numbers, no thanks. However, he was unable to find where the people at Statistic Brain got their data. He couldn't find their sources and reported that he was unable to get in touch with someone from the website. So he contacted some other experts who also didn't know where those numbers came from. So nobody can find where these numbers are from. And we still don't know where those data came from. <laughs> right. And I, I went to that website and I tried to find that article or where they got their numbers. And unfortunately, it was behind a paywall that just didn't seem worth it to me to try and break my way through or even pay my way through to find out what those numbers were. But you also had to get to go through the paywall even to get access to their references. So it's possible there was something there. Whoa. Yeah. So it, that's shady, dude. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So that seemed like something I was not worth spending a lot of money on. 
So, and technically I'm not a student anymore, so I didn't get their discount, but it just didn't seem like a good use of my money or time. So I did try and look into it. Simon Mabin looked into it and I think he did a lot of the legwork here, but even without those hard numbers, there are other reasons to be skeptical of this notion that we now have these very short attention spans. So let's jump into a definition here. Hit it, Shane. All right. Yeah. So what is attention span? Well, there isn't really a definition, but let's make one up because that seems to work with Microsoft Canada and their data and stuff and statistic brain. We're in pop psychology. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to we're going to armchair the hell out of this. So not really. We actually have information. So let's go ahead and make up this definition like time spent focusing on a task. As writer Reed Rollins at the Mind Cafe website points out, there are still several questions to consider, such as what if you intentionally quit a task? Does that count as breaking attention or getting distracted? What does distracted mean? What if you look away from the task? Is that breaking attention? What if you look immediately back to the task? How long does it take to be broken to count? What about following a stream of thought that while tangentially related leads you down a pathway away from your original inquiry? Does it matter if the task is particularly engaging? There are so many questions to unpack in that. Right. Yeah. So the definition doesn't really give us much to work with. Not at all. If there was one. And we, you know, we just sort of, I actually got that definition from sort of synthesizing what had been written about when the sites that were spinning this as news were just talking about our attention span, like how long can can we stay focused on this task? I was like, okay, I'll define attention as the endurance focused on the task. Yeah, and even then we still have so many questions about it. Right, so for our perspective from what I think a more operational definition that we could use and not even attention span, but I think we can consider attention simply to be the extent to which a particular event keeps you oriented toward and interacting with that event. Does that make sense? Are you guys cool with that one? Yeah, solid. And many experts have pointed out that there are a variety of factors to consider when considering how much attention someone will devote to something. For example, the individual person and the particular task are significant variables in how much attention that person will command from their audience. So for instance, I'll watch videos about and spend time reading and rereading and rereading instructions for board games. But most people will just look at the instructions and take a nap or decide that they are more <laughs> interested in virtually anything else. And I mean, this is because I am a board game enthusiast. I'm very interested in all things related to board games. But those people who don't really care about board games, they're not going to be willing to spend very much time on board games. Or another example is for me, as someone who doesn't really follow sports, like I'll watch an American football game for about two seconds before I completely tune out. And this is no comment on the quality of the sports or anything. But those people who love watching sports, they'll watch football undistracted and undistractable for hours. And then they'll spend even more time talking about it afterward with other people around them that they also know are interested in sports. Yeah, I'm pretty sure half of America shuts down Sunday <laughs> for, for football. Yeah. yeah, for at least that 13 weeks or 17 weeks or whatever it is. And then Monday, that's the, that's the entire talk too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. 11 people are super interested in board games. <laughs> <laughs> You're like a rare species. Abraham. In so many ways. I'm so unique. I'm a, I'm a unique and beautiful snowflake. <laughs> so this is true for other things too. So your relative interest in the task is critically important in determining your attention toward the task. So if you're interested in it, you're more likely to spend more time paying attention to it. And furthermore, how you feel in that moment and your circumstantial motivation to engage will affect how much attention you will bring to a task. So for instance, if you're tired, recently worked on something labor-intensive, worried about other obligations, or otherwise unwilling to focus on something new, then your attention on the task will be less. <gasps> Gasp. Surprise. What? Oh, weird. Context means everything. Plot <laughs> twist. 
Listeners have never heard of this on this show. (laughs) But there are some other pieces of evidence that people point to as examples of how we are all losing our attention span. So some common evidence would be like shot length in movies and TV shows and high action. So you'll see that some of those shots are shorter spans. Some of them are longer spans, depending on the shot. And the scenes contain so much more action than they used to. So even Wired interviewed a psychologist named James Cutting, who stated that humans do not maintain their focus for more than a few seconds at a time which is not true, as we've demonstrated, and even cited William James from 1890, well before there were movies and TV. Yeah, this whole citation with William James quoted as describing how people have no capacity to spend very much time paying attention to things. And, I mean, William James was a prolific writer, so he is a (laughs) non-example of this, unless he just wrote four or five words at a time and then went and like chased butterflies and then came back. Have you never seen his biography? Uh, no. That's what he did. He would write four or five words and then just go chase butterflies. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so specifically, they point out that the average shot length has decreased from 12 seconds in 1930 to 2.5 seconds in 2010. So that's quite a significant decrease. Yeah, it's short. And I've actually been exploring this sort of stuff quite a bit. So it's worth noting that part of this is due in part to how it has become gradually easier to shoot and reshoot, cut, and edit video together. That is, shots could be salvaged by editing together portions of what worked to make a final product. The same technology has allowed filmmakers to make seemingly lengthy shots that appear to go on uninterrupted for several minutes, such as with the movie Birdman or currently popular franchise John Wick, which intentionally contains many seemingly uncut action sequences. So the length of the shot may have a lot more to do with convenience and style rather than attention span. Have you guys seen the movie Birdman? I have not. Uh, It's fantastic. Part of the premise of the movie is that it's one continuous uninterrupted shot for the entire movie. And they're obviously they couldn't have filmed a movie like that, but they sort of play it off as if that's what happened. There's only like three noticeable areas where they probably cut in the entire movie. It's extremely well shot. And just really, really cool to watch. Super engaging. I started getting into video editing the last couple of years and reading back of what you used to have to do. Like I'm learning from like these master classes of folks like Martin Scorsese and others that have been in the industry forever. And they're talking about how you would cut film strip and like tape it together and all this sort of stuff. And I'm like, I just drag on a digital landscape and move stuff around. (laughs) So easy now. You should definitely go watch Birdman, though. That movie is just really good. It's a great movie in general. Once you describe it, I remember it for the one-take discussion. People were talking about one-take recordings all the time because it's extremely hard also to... I would add a note into this, like with the commoditization of everything, like someone like me being able to pick up a camera and mess with it for a couple of years, the time it takes and the attention to detail to be able to do like one, <laughs> one shot takes like that is actually really hard, whereas it's a lot easier just to pick up and hit record on and off a bunch and do these shorter takes, you know? Yeah, Ryan, did you ever see the movie Children of Men? I did not. There's this one shot at the end, and I'm trying to remember how long it is. It's something like 15 minutes. And although they technically did it in, I think, three cuts, uh, you Mm -hmm. can't tell where the cuts are. And it took them like 13 hours to set up the shot just so that they could do it. Yeah. Because everything had to be choreographed so perfectly wherever the camera went. And like, I can't like the amount of time that goes into it. It's just, it's really, really impressive. But this is a thing that I've seen increasingly in movies is really complex, really well choreographed, lengthy shots. And that's why I included the example here of John Wick. Have you guys seen any of those movies? Nope. I've seen some clips of them and that's much more action oriented, right? Yeah. So these are these really long one take cuts of a particular action scene that will go on for at least, you know, two to five minutes, maybe 
of a ton of fighting and action that's happening and that's impressive action sequences are always suggested to be edited quicker and have multiple cameras kind of shifting over the place because it makes yeah. you get this like sense of feeling as if you're like a part of the action so something like that is probably to try to still make the same emotional thing happen but not with the angles as your variable that you're cutting but just seeing if they could choreograph that well yeah well and i think it actually is really engaging because you know where everyone is in relation to the set so you kind of understand a little bit better what the stakes are i think and it's pretty impressive like if you're watching that scene you know yeah i mean and, and this is i mean there's been several there's been several several movies now i think this is becoming an increasing trend at least from what i've seen in action movies of rather than doing those super rapid cuts where it's like every hit has one to three cuts it's now one single cut for a whole section of a fight sequence or some action sequence that show daredevil does it really well like there's a couple like really great scenes where it's like like he just walks in and kicks everybody's ass yeah and like it's like but they do it really well in like a hallway or a stairwell or something and it just it's the way it's shot it's just unbelievable you like it's interesting because you can't help but grab onto the scene yeah because it's shot so different than what you're seeing. And in the first season, you can see the actor is just visibly just sagging from the effort. Yeah, he's just like <laughs> up against the wall, just like, <sighs> and just, I mean, it makes it seem so much more real. I don't know. I, I, I agree that those were super good seasons on Netflix. Bring Daredevil back. <laughs> that was the longest diatribe ever on these movies. But I, I kind of wanted just to bring it back to this idea of like, yeah, there. I think on average, the shot lengths are decreasing more out of convenience than anything. But also there are increasing shot lengths happening for a lot of these movies as well. Yeah. So Reed Rollins from Mind Cafe pointed out that the shot length and increased action likely has to do with filmmakers adapting to an increasingly competitive market and figuring out what works best to capture their audience interests rather than trying to adapt to a people's hypothetically dwindling attention spans. Right. I think it's just more parsimonious to say what's probably happening is here is people are getting better at filmmaking and uh, filmmaking in a way that's really engaging. Not that they're desperately trying to keep up with our fruit fly like memories. (laughs) (laughs) We haven't even talked about fruit flies yet. Yeah. I decided (laughs) to throw a new one under the bus rather we we talked at length about goldfish. We needed a new animal to to criticize for being, (laughs) for being short on memory. Exactly. And and I really picked the fruit fly just because their lives are so short. They don't have an opportunity to remember very much. They maybe have fantastic <laughs> memories for the duration of their lives. Who knows? So let's talk about kind of this unlikely hero in the discussion around attention span and our diminished attention span over the centuries. So we're going to look at this kind of unsuspecting place. In the 1990s, TV producer Todd Kessler was tasked with developing a TV show that contained educational and wholesome content for children. So he pitched the series called Blues Clues, which were 25-minute long episodes with several segments and an overarching, quote, mystery, unquote, woven throughout. So did you guys watch Blues Clues? I loved Blues Clues, and I was like 15 <laughs> when that show came out. <laughs> this episode i didn't think it was gonna get any better and it just (laughs) it was so good my brother my younger brother was super into it so it was around but i did not necessarily (laughs) opt in like abraham did it sounds like they're super engaging it's sort of like what's the story wishbone where they would do these sort of abridged versions of classical literature but with this one dog as the protagonist in all the stories and they'd put him in all his costumes. I remember Wishbone. Yeah. He's a little Jack Russell. Yeah, he was. Yeah. So he's a Jack Russell dressed like Robin Hood every now and again. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> it was super cute. So, anyway, according to Kessler, 
The producers were convinced this would fail because 25 minutes was seven times longer than children were even capable of focusing on something as far as they knew. But Kessler was able to conduct a screen test with young children during which they created a playroom with several toys and then put Blue's Clues on a screen and simply measured how long the children looked at the screen. At the time, Sesame Street could command a record high of holding children's attention for 78% of the time. Kessler reports that Blue's Clues tested at 93%. Yeah, so they specifically baited the room with distractions. And then, just to get really technical, they had people that were in like behind a two-way mirror or whatever, or one-way mirror, and they were specifically just watching and keeping track of the total duration of kids with their eyes on the screen. This didn't mean that they weren't necessarily playing with or maybe manipulating some toy they're just holding onto. They could have been, but they still kept their eyes on the screen the entire time, which is a fairly objective measure, at least, of whether or not they're oriented to the thing that's coming on. Yeah, I mean, it's an engaging show. I get it. And these were like little kids, and they specifically chose them because they were, as he describes, really candid. Like, they weren't going to put on a pretense of, you want me to like this show, so I'm going to watch it. The kids are like, nah, man, I only care what's right in front of me. But Brian was too old for that. Yeah, Ryan, younger than me, incidentally. <laughs> I was just in Tonopah, and we were still in the Stone Age, where you had to like tr- crank your TV to be able to like, keep oh, it going. That's fair. <laughs> you, had to, you, had, you had to wake up the pterodactyl. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I understand. So Kessler continues to be a champion for the potential of children and against the cynicism and adultism of believing kids are incompetent, mindless bodies that flit unfocused from one activity to the next. So basically he's saying, like, We can do better. Kids can pay attention to more things. Here's my evidence. Yeah, and like, let's stop underestimating them, too. Yeah, exactly. So he also describes a similar attempt to publish a kid's book with over 2,000 words that was met with skepticism. And testing showed that these kids engaged with that story with consistently high levels of attention as well. So Kessler is like the attention span king. (laughs) Well, he also pointed out that in the past, if you look back at some of the books, that many of them, including some of Dr. Seuss's books were well over 2,000 words and were like the best-selling books of all time for kids. And he also pointed out there was this trend where publishers were releasing books that had as few as five pages in the books and contained something like less than 450 words and that you'd pay 18 to $25 for a book that would last you literally two minutes to read to your kid. And he's, he's sort of making the case, what are we doing? You know, I think... You could look at this again. I think the parsimonious account is that publishers could spend less manufacturing a book they could sell for the same price under the argument that kids aren't going to pay attention and that book will sell fairly well. That's a marketing scam if I've heard of anything, it sounds like. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then you also got to think about parents are thinking, oh, like, all right, how long do I have to spend reading to my kid? This book says two minutes. Deal. <laughs> I think that you got people capitalizing on both angles of this, but neither of those things mean that. This is because children are losing their attention span. If anything, this is evidence of the market. That one was because parents shortening attention span, right? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe they're shortening patience, but not shortening attention (laughs) span. Honestly, I tried to read Dostoevsky to my kids and they just weren't into it. So (laughs) Russian literature is not great to read to your kids. You should have gone with Anna Karenina. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that probably would have been more successful. There's some other arguments as well. So some have argued that the pacing has gotten better to compete with shortening attention. But even if that's true, which it probably isn't, then people would still be paying attention for longer because of the programming. Yeah. And, and so essentially what we're saying with that is that if these people are manufacturing their shows, their movies or their books or whatever, their entertainment, so that it captures people's attention for longer. Well, then we're going back to the point of it's actually still catching, capturing people's attention for longer. And even in that, we didn't have any evidence that their attention was getting short in the first place. So just because things have become engaging doesn't mean 
that people are losing their attention span and it also directly shoots that argument in the foot of the idea that people are losing their attention span because we're like well we have to manufacture all these ways to hold people's attention and so i'm saying okay so we're holding people's attention that's the final note at the end of the argument right you would think so for me it's just become more clear as i play around more with video and audio editing that the more you master those variables of continually keeping this cadence and making sure that you're not messing up attention, if that makes sense, so you're not disrupting what they're paying attention to or listening to with something super distracting, then it just seems to be received better and better and you get people's attention for longer and longer. When you do those videos, you don't use that like Michael Bay, like every now and again. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not at the status where I'm allowed to use that yet. <laughs> Your status? That's a guild benefit. Oh, dear. Yeah, if you if you do that too soon, they just write you off forever. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think about myself when I'm going through picking things. And again, it really has to do more with time management and patience than anything else. So if I see there's a video on YouTube or something I'm interested in, and I see that this video is coming in over two hours, I'm thinking, do I want to spend two hours watching this? Probably not. And it really has to do with like, what else could I do with two hours? So a video that's five minutes, I'm thinking, even if this video is not very good, I can watch it in five minutes and at least I'll know what's there as opposed to spending, you know, two hours on something. I don't even know if, if it's going to be worth it, the time spent on it. And I've got a lot of stuff to do. There's a lot of things out there that are, are competing for my time. So, you know, it's not, hasn't have anything to do necessarily with whether or not I could pay attention the entire time. It's just whether or not I want to spend my available time on that thing. Yeah. I know this isn't consistent, solid logic, but like I sometimes get into discussions with people about this and it's just like. If it's really that dwindling, we should see the entire Hollywood or Bollywood markets just completely tank and crash, right? <laughs> like, right. There should be no more long form anything if this is going on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think people have a tremendous capacity to follow a narrative over a long period of time. Look at like Game of Thrones. They took basically an entire year off between shooting their final few seasons and people stuck with that story and were able to come back to it. And the story is very complex. There's a lot of characters, there's a lot of narrative arcs that are going on. So, it's definitely a dated reference, even at the time that we're recording this, but just because the last season already aired. But the point being that like that was a show where they were able to span several years without content and have people come back to it and remember what had happened and stick with these you know hour long episodes. I think that taking that year off really did Game of Thrones wonders. That season eight was on was just, you know, perfect from what I understand. Are you being sarcastic? Yeah. Oh, okay. oh, for sure. I know <laughs> people People were very angry about that, that season. <laughs> yeah. I think that they hoped that George R.R. R. Martin would write a book or something in that amount of time or write anything so that they could use it for the show. <laughs> the production schedules of a, a show like that have got to be unbelievably a pain in the butt, like just unfathomable. Trying to get that many people together at remote locations with nobody being sick or have issues come up to where that you like it's gotta be nuts i feel like that's part of it and they shot them in some very northern regions as i understand it where it was very cold and they were far from amenities hbo did a behind the scenes thing of a lot of the the episodes and you get to watch some of them like constructing their sets that they would do and just the amount of work it took to produce that show is pretty unbelievable i can understand why it was so expensive is just i mean purely from a like salary perspective that show would have cost so much money yeah <laughs> can i just say real quick before i get in this point i love that this episode has had more offshoots of conversations than i feel <laughs> than like any of our else. other ones like that's that, a good point <laughs> it was probably a function of us just not recording together for the last year <laughs> oh i'm sure 
I'm sure that's what also, it is. Also, I love like movies and TV shows, and so when I get an opportunity to talk about them, I just talk about them at length. <laughs> so it's <laughs> and I'm like, hey, this seems like an appropriate time for me to finally say how much I really liked Blues Clues. So now I can <laughs> <laughs> that bucket list item checked. <laughs> exactly. This podcast has been leading up to that moment. Is Abraham just coming out saying like, oh, Steve was my hero for many, many years. And thus concludes the entire show of why we do what we do. (laughs) (laughs) So one of the other arguments is that smartphones and the expansiveness of the Internet has also been blamed for short attentions. But some research has actually suggested that rather than shortening our attention spans, people's brains are getting increasingly efficient at dealing with the enormous amount of information and stimulation that is available as a result. And we're getting better at being selective about what we grab onto with our attention. So we we tend to actually get a little bit better at focusing on things because we have to kind of sort through all the noise. Yeah, I mean, I think essentially what we've seen with this is there's no evidence to actually suggest that people are losing their attention span. And so I, I don't think that that's anything that we can walk away from and conclude, yep, we're definitely losing our attention span or even we might be losing our attention span. It seems like we're just not. And probably, I mean, I think really the other consideration is you can't even measure it that way because attention spans aren't a thing that you can actually measure. And they're affected by so many other variables. And you have all these factors like how much people are interested in the thing that they're supposed to be engaging with and things like that. So it's just, it doesn't move the conversation anywhere to talk about it that way. The simpler, more practical perspective seems to be just Focus on the variables that are at hand. What are they? And those are more likely to be affecting anything and be more useful for you to understand a air quote attention span than focusing on whatever this attention span thing is that people talk about. So we've already started to begin to segue into our take home. So let's just do that. So I'm going to make my first take home point is just kids are not losing their attention span. That's nonsense. And I think my point would be there's not really a great definition of what attention span is. I think it's too complex to try and put into a single operational definition without kind of muting the other variables in the context that that contribute to it. It's a good point. And so for me, as an example, the video stuff I've been doing, the more I focus on the variables of audio, make sure there's no distractions, make sure it's clean, make sure the frames are well done, the lighting's well done. That seems to be increasing consistently viewership and attention spans thus, potentially. And it's focusing on those variables that seem to be very useful. Whether it's, you know, in a setting like you were describing where they did with uh, good old Blue's Clues (laughs) (laughs) or in my own world. Or if it's just like a party that you're hosting and you turn off the TV and turn off the mute or whatever it is, you know, like you have these variables you can control to try to get people's attention. And I think that the fact that shots have gotten in in TV shows and movies that the uh, actual shots for which the camera is pointed at something and recording the fact that those have decreased to an average of 2.5 seconds as of 2010, I think it's probably actually increased since then. But I think that is more of an artifact of the technology being available to really easily make a lot of cuts and edits and make a movie still make sense with all those cuts and edits. I hear all the time in filmmaking groups, it's about three seconds is the average shot. But gotcha. I think that's it. Do we have anything else? I guess maybe another point I would make is like goldfish are not a good comparison. Yeah, that's a good point. I actually (laughs) did want to bring that back. So that's a good final point. They are not. (laughs) Not at all. (laughs) All right. So can we do some quick recommendations? Recommendations. So I was watching a series that came out on Netflix, I think recently called Don't Blank with Cats. Oh, yeah, I heard about this. Yes. Hunting an Internet Killer, I believe, is the subtitle. And clearly, this is something that's for adults. There's some sensitive content in there, but essentially it's 
a documentary, three hours, hour each, three part series where they're they're discussing something that happened in I think it was 2010, seven ish range. And it is unbelievably scary, good, makes you leave like your gut drops. Like it's just it's it's very well done, but it's based on a true story, which makes you like question parts of humanity. Have you all seen it? I've heard of it, but I haven't seen it yet. Okay, yeah. I saw the ad come up, but I was concerned because I don't want to see people actually hurting cats, so... They don't show the actual incidences that actually happened, but they lead all the way up to it. And so that's where my kind of caution there is, is I've got many people in my network that like love animals to death, and they were able to watch, but some of them were kind of like, yeah, this is pushing it way too close. So it's just a little bit of a, a sensitive warning there. But when it comes to why we do what we do, like it's something to go check out that just makes you think. Cool. All right, sweet. Shane, you got something? Yeah, so I am currently rifling through, and I've kind of turned this into a project where I'm reading this book called Stay Fanatic, Hectic Expectorations for the Music Obsessive. And it's this book written by Henry Rollins, and it's basically Henry Rollins writes about music and writes about his record collection and kind of what his views of music are. And if you've ever read anything by Henry Rollins, it's always 110%. It's always this like aggressively like loud and opinionated, but like really insightful and interesting. I don't know. I've always found him to be a very interesting person. And so he had written this, like he's writing a series of books that are essentially kind of, I would say like art books and like a history, kind of like a discography type of thing where he talks about all these really rare pieces of music and like collectibles that he has in his art, in his record collection. And so it's like excerpts of him writing about this stuff. And to me, it's just, Amazing to watch him talk about bands like Wire and the Ramones and the Stooges and being there with them and sharing stories. Like to me, it's just this really cool thing. So it's called Stay Fanatic, Volume One by Henry Rollins. It just came out on his two thirteen sixty one uh, publishing company, and I got an autographed copy of it, which is really cool. Wow, sweet man! Anything from you, Abraham? Yeah, I'm gonna make maybe a kind of weird one, but this is just one of my favorite things. Everybody um, watch Blues Clues. Yeah, everyone watch Blues Clues. <laughs> <laughs> but not the one with the new guys. They might be fine. I don't know. I, I just remember Steve. So, <laughs> but uh, anyway, <laughs> the recommendation I'm going to make is actually original Hawaiian chocolate factory. And they have only what? a few types of chocolate. <laughs> I know. Right. Especially if you're in Hawaii, uh, specifically the big Island, but they only have a few types of chocolate. They have milk chocolate and then a couple of types of dark chocolate, but it is unbelievably good. So their dark chocolate is so sweet and well done that it doesn't even like have the bitterness of dark chocolate, which I really like, but it has the perfect amount of sort of melt in your mouth and almost crumbliness that I don't have any other words to describe. It is just the greatest chocolate I've ever had. So if you're in Hawaii, definitely go check it out. And if not, if you order some, I don't think you'll be disappointed. And by the way, none of the things that we've mentioned sponsor this, uh, this show in any way. <laughs> I just want to make sure we're really clear on that. This episode brought to you by Blues Clues. <laughs> <laughs> Though I will say, if Henry Rollins decided to sponsor us for anything, I would be fully into that. I also would not mind if Original Hawaiian Chocolate Factory wanted to send me some of their chocolate. <laughs> that would be amazing. But anyway, that was my recommendation, is if you have a chance to try it, it's my favorite chocolate. I'm into it. Cool. All right, I think that's all we got. We can go ahead and wrap up there, unless you have anything else. That's it. Thanks for listening, y'all. Sweet. Yeah, do our survey and reach out to us on social media. We will definitely respond. Join us on Patreon if you'd like to support us. 
Leave us a rating and a review wherever you listen to us. All that good stuff. We're on all the platforms. And we have filled in all of our back episodes that had disappeared from a few of those platforms, including Apple and Google, but they are back now, so you can find those. And so that's pretty much it. Thank you so much for listening. This is Abraham. This is Rano. And this is Shane. We're out. See ya. Peace. You've been listening to Why We Do What We Do. Why We Do What We Do is supported in part by our amazing patrons. Thank you. If you like what you heard, consider becoming a patron by heading to patreon.com slash podcast. You can also rate and review us wherever you get your podcast or share this episode with your friends. If you have any comments or questions, we'd love to hear from you. Find us at podcast on your favorite social media platforms. You can learn more about this and other episodes by going to www.podcast.com. There, you'll find links as well as detailed and shareable show notes. Why We Do What We Do is researched and produced by Abraham, Ryan O, Shane, and Miranda. Artwork and logo design by Andrew Pollock at nogdesigns.com. Video and production assistance from Tyler Brassier with music courtesy of Justin Greenhouse. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have an awesome day. I'll watch videos about and spend time reading and rereading and rereading instructions for board games. That's not me. That's Scott. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> that example sucks. That example sucks for me. <laughs> sorry, guys. I had to respond to a text. Where were we? Uh, we, we uh, I'm just. I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs>